everybody. My name is Carl Darden, and I'd like to welcome and thank all of you for joining us today here on Navy Sports Central. I am your host, and this is the official podcast of the Navy Sports Nation, where we take a deeper dive into Navy sports. In this episode, we'll be checking in with the men's basketball team. Uh, they are right in the thick of things about a third of the way into their Patriot League schedule, and they are playing some really, really good basketball. So today we're going to take a look at three key reasons why they're in contention for another regular season title. And of course, we'll have our sports update, question of the day, and mid-watch segments. So it is time to buckle up and we'll get started when we return. All right. Welcome back, everyone, and, and Happy New Year. Uh, this is our first podcast episode of 2022. So whether you are a regular listener or you're checking us out for the first time, thanks for making us part of your day. Um, so, yeah, we're going to spend some time talking Navy men's basketball during our deep dive segment. But uh, first, let's get you caught up on some of the other winter sports. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start with the wrestling team. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they competed in their last Invitational of the season, and it was at the Franklin and Marshall Open up in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, the top finishers were Jacob Allen at 125 pounds, and he placed second. Andrew Siniglia took fourth at 157 pounds, and Ryan Katka took sixth at 285. Allen, who is a senior from Poway, California, won his first three matches, and they were all really, really tight. Uh, he actually won his semifinal match 5-3 to three against a guy named Patrick McCormick from UVA. That got him to the final, but I guess the way everything worked out in terms of the uh, the qualification ladder, he ended up wrestling McCormick again in the final match, and unfortunately, uh, that one didn't go his way, so uh, Allen had to settle for second. At uh, 285 pounds, uh, Ryan Kotka made it to the round of 16 before... Uh, he lost a match to uh, Nathan Taylor, so that put him into the consolation bracket. And he did a great job fighting his way through that. He actually made it all the way to the finals of the consolation round. And to get there, uh, at one point, he was in one of his matches, he was down 4-1 to one with less than a minute to go. I think it was like 57 seconds left. And he pulled off an escape and two takedowns uh, to end up winning 6-5. to five. That got him into the finals of the uh, consolation round where he had to actually go against Nathan Taylor again. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Kotka couldn't come away with the win, so he ended up uh, taking six. So, but still, that was a pretty good comeback uh, in that one match there. And then finally, at 157 pounds, Andrew Cerniglia uh, ended up cruising through his first two matches, and in fact, he won his uh, third round. Ma- yeah, he won his third match, 15 to one. So that was just sheer domination. Unfortunately, he was injured in the semifinal match and had to uh, withdraw. And then, of course, that injury kept him from competing in the uh, third-place match. So he ended up finishing uh, a disappointing fourth when, you know, I got to figure the way that kid's been wrestling, um, he was a sense to at least make it to the final, if not maybe win the whole thing. So overall, it was a pretty good showing for the mids against some pretty tough competition. And the hope was that they could keep building on that so they could be ready for their first uh, EIWA dual meet of the year, that, which took place this past weekend against Lehigh. Uh, you guys might remember last year they took down the Mountain Hawks for the first time in over 10 years, 21-9, to 9, and it was Coach Kolot's first big win since taking over the program. Unfortunately, things did not go that well this weekend, and this is a really good example of when you're dealing with a sport like wrestling, momentum is absolutely huge. I mean, you get a team posting a couple of big wins early, and then that whole feeling has a way of just building and building, and next thing you know, it turns into a runaway freight train that's just impossible to stop. 
That's exactly what happened uh, against Lehigh. Uh, the Mids lost their first three matches right out of the gate, and, and they just never recovered. Uh, the final score was uh, 24 to 9, so clearly it just wasn't their day. Um, Coach Kolot, who, by the way, is as transparent as they come in post-match interviews, uh, spoke to the fact that the Mountain Hawks were just better at the most critical points in several of the key matches. And, um, you know, the Mids just didn't get it done, unfortunately. Now, they didn't have much time to think about it, which is probably a good thing, actually, because um, they took on Hofstra the very next day in Hempstead, New York. The uh, mids came out strong and proceeded to take out their frustrations from the day before on the Pride. Uh, they came away with wins in eight of the ten matches, including their first three, and and four of the eight wins earned extra bonus points. So while I'm sure that Coach Colot has a list of things that the team still needs to work on, it's uh, got to be nice to get into the win column. And uh, by the way, the next time the mids will be in action will be uh, this weekend against Ohio University. Okay, next up is women's basketball. Uh, it's been kind of a bumpy ride for the mids so far. Um, they are currently 5-11 and overall and 2-4 and in the Patriot League. The wins have come against Bucknell and Colgate. Uh, the win against Colgate actually w- was pretty nice. Uh, the biggest thing I see is just an issue with consistency. The team hasn't put together two straight wins since before Thanksgiving, but uh, the real frustration is their overall 2-8 and record at home. Jennifer Coleman is averaging a double-double for the year so far. Uh, Her 23 points and 10 rebounds a game lead the team in both categories, and she's shooting an impressive 43% from three-point range. But the issue seems to be scoring depth. Uh, Sydney Watts is beginning to emerge as the dependable number two scorer. In fact, uh, she had uh, 20 points over the weekend against Boston University. Uh, Unfortunately, the mids lost that one uh, 74-63, but they played them much tougher than they did a couple weeks ago when the Terriers beat them by uh, 24 points up in Boston. And in that game over the weekend, Jennifer Coleman had 32 points and Watts had a career-high 20, but there's too much of a drop-off in the scoring after those two players. Um, What the team had last year that they don't have right now is three solid double-digit scorers. In 2021, they had Coleman, Colby Green, and Sophie Gatsunas. My guess is that Sydney Watts will be averaging double figures if she continues to play the way she is now. But it can be a real challenge to win at this level without that player who can get you at least 10 points a game every time she takes the court. That's what Gatsunas could do, and that's what the mids still need. Okay, since we'll be talking in depth about the men's team in our deep dive segment, let's go ahead and jump over to men's and women's track. Um... Both teams squared off against Princeton in a dual meet at home over the weekend. Uh, The men's team edged out the Tigers 90-86, to and the mids did really, really well in the distance races. Uh, David Nelson won the mile with a time of 4.05. Alex Rizzo took the top spot in the 3,000 meters, finishing in 8.02. And Miguel Mathias posted a time of 14.28 to take the 5,000 meters. Uh, The men also came through with wins in the pole vault, long jump, and the triple jump. Uh, Charles Crispy, Caden Daly, and Sebastian Allen got the job done there. The uh, women were up next, but uh, they were not able to complete the sweep. Princeton got off to a strong start on their way to a 103-77 win. The Miz did come away with wins in four events. Uh, Charlene Mork in the pole vault, which is getting to be pretty routine. I mean, she's been doing that since she was a freshman. Next, we had Aislinn Heyman in the shot put, uh, Jessica Nangle in the 3,000 meters, and Helen West in the 500 meters. Um, this in some ways could be looked at as a tune-up meet, given that Princeton is not in the Patriot League. Uh, overall, Coach Jamie Cook seems satisfied with how both teams are progressing, and he mentioned that they did have a plan for what they need to be doing moving forward. Uh, they will have the Navy Invitational as the next checkpoint, which takes place this upcoming weekend. 
Uh, in fact, there are no more dual meets on the indoor schedule, except for the one against Army coming up on February 5th in Annapolis. And of course, that has always been the team's focus, as well as the uh, Patriot League championships. All right, we're going to finish up with the gymnastics team. Um, they competed in the West Point Open this weekend to kick off their season. And they finished second among six teams, barely getting edged out by Penn State. The uh, Nittany Lions posted a team score of just over 393 points, while the mids uh, were two points behind them at around 391, while Army was third, another three points behind. Coach Kip Simons noted strong performances from Josh Williams, Giovanni Gabatesi, Isaiah Drake, uh, who is a freshman, by the way, and then CM Burr de Gunta. They all scored high enough in the team competition to qualify for the individual titles the next day. Williams continued his strong performance by grabbing first place in the rings, and he also finished third in the floor exercise. Uh, Barra de Gunta was right behind him in fourth place. Uh, Gambatesi took second place in the high bar, while Drake came in fourth in that event as well. The uh, mids will be hosting the Navy Open this Saturday, and their big showdown against Army is on February 5th. So that's going to be a pretty big weekend. We got track and um, gymnastics uh, squaring off against Army on that first weekend in February. Okay, that's pretty much gets you guys up to speed. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a quick break. Our deep dive segment is next. All right, we are back, and now we're going to turn our attention to the men's basketball team. Uh, they are 5-1 and one following a 72-65 win over Boston University over the weekend. As a matter of fact, it was their second win over the Terriers in the last two weeks. So we're going to take a look at three key stats that point to why the team has been so consistent, and then we'll also talk about the players responsible for putting up those numbers. The uh, first statistic we'll get into is uh, team scoring defense. Um, the mids are holding their opponents to an average of about 60 points per game, and right now that puts them at uh, 18th in the country. Uh, in Division I college basketball, if you're keeping other teams to around 60 points a contest, uh, you're going to win your fair share of games, that's for sure. Uh, now, if you've heard me talk about basketball before, you know that I'm a big fan of a strong team defense. And yeah, it's true that an offense that fills up the basket is great, especially if they're shooting it from long range, but uh, teams are prone to having bad shooting nights, and in theory... You should rarely have a bad defensive night because that has everything to do with effort. And the mids have brought plenty of that this season. The uh, one hiccup in league play so far was uh, early last week against Colgate. I'm not sure what the hell happened in that game, but the mids just couldn't buy a basket. Uh, they had a god-awful shooting night, hitting only uh, 32% of their attempts, and the Raiders won easily 69-50. Um, to 50. But besides that, the mids have played very consistently. They bounced right back with that nice road win over Boston, and they're now tied for first place with Loyola. The uh, next stat I'm going to mention really briefly is uh, rebounding. And if you follow basketball at all, you know that there's uh, no big mystery to this. Uh, basically, one of two things happens when a team pulls down a rebound. If it's a defensive rebound, you're denying the other guy another possession. And if it's an offensive rebound, it's an opportunity for second chance points. The mids are averaging over five rebounds more per game than their opponents. And in several games, they've absolutely dominated on the offensive glass. The uh, bottom line is it gives them more opportunities to score, especially if they are limiting their turnovers. They are doing a pretty good job there, and they also have a slight edge in points off of turnovers as well. Now, when I watch basketball games, I hear the announcers talking about scoring defense and rebounds all the time. And uh, the next stat is one that does get mentioned occasionally during games, but uh, Navy is taking it to a whole new level. And I'm talking about bench scoring. 
Um, in the mid's 12 wins so far this year, their bench has scored a total of 299 points. And in a couple of games, they've actually accounted for over half the team's scoring. Now, this is something they began to establish from their very first win of the year over Virginia. And if we look at the Patriot League games alone, the Navy bench has outscored the opposition's reserves 162 to 83. And they've accounted for roughly 39% of the team's scoring compared to 22% for their opponent. In fact, against Lafayette, they scored 41 of the team's uh, 75 points. So j- just think about what this means for Coach uh, Ed DeCellis. Uh, he's got a bench that's producing close to 40% of the team's points. And that makes things so much easier when putting together rotations for each game because he knows that there won't be a significant drop-off in performance when uh, the second wave of players goes in. And then if the opponent's bench is only putting up about 20% of their points, that means the mids will probably have an advantage when each team's reserves are in the game. Now, here's the thing. Um, These points aren't coming just from two or three players. Uh, Coach DeChalice can go as deep as 10 or 11 on his roster to get these results. And what this translates into is a boatload of depth on the team. Last year, the mids had excellent team depth. This season, it's even better. And the fact is, when your reserves can come in and maintain close to that same level of play, it creates all kinds of problems for the other team. So now let's go ahead and meet some of these guys who, you know, even though they don't always start the game, they still play a critical role when it comes to the team's success. First up on the list is Daniel Deaver. Uh, He is a 6'8 junior from Falls Church, Virginia. And he's actually started nine games uh, this season when uh, Richard Njoku was a little bit banged up. And they actually averaged roughly about the same number of minutes per game, too. But uh, anyway, I've watched Deaver quite a bit over the last couple of years, and I will tell you that he is a lot of fun to watch, both on the high and low block, depending on what kind of offensive set the team is running. He's got great footwork around the basket, and he does an excellent job getting open for his shot. I've seen Deaver use drop steps, head fakes, ball fakes, all kinds of moves to help create a shot down low, but he can also step outside for the occasional three-pointer. Uh, right now, Deaver is averaging 7.4 points a game to go along with about three and a half rebounds. Uh, his career high is 20 points against Bucknell earlier this month. In fact, in that game, he didn't miss a single shot from the field. Uh, he was eight for eight, including one from long range. And even after I've said all that about Deaver, I still haven't mentioned what I think is the best part of his game. Uh, this guy is an outstanding passer. It doesn't matter if he's up high or down low. His court vision is excellent. Um, He's the kind of player who just seems always to know when to make that extra pass. And right now, he actually leads the team in assists with 33 uh, on the year. My very first indication of how good a passer Deaver was came in the very first game of the year against Virginia. Um, As I recall, there was less than a minute left to go, and the outcome was still in doubt. And the mids had inbounded the ball off of a UVA turnover. So as they were bringing the ball up the court, Deaver uh, took up a position above the top of the key to set a pick for P.J. Roach. And Roach faked a drive and then pulled back out. Then Deaver rolled to the right and took a pass from Roach with one hand and immediately found John Carter Jr. on the left wing for a three-pointer that basically iced the game. Now, the cool thing about this was Deaver only had the ball for a split second. He basically caught it in his left hand and quickly redirected it over to Carter, uh, who he saw the whole time. And he does that kind of thing on a routine basis. So I am telling you that having a big man who can pass like that is like gold. So uh, if and when you watch the mids play, spend some time following Deaver when he doesn't have the ball. Uh, He is constantly looking to get into a position for a shot, or he's setting a pick for a teammate, or he's making an extra pass to the open man. And it is really tough to measure his value when he comes into the game. I'm just glad that we have him. Uh, Next up is Jalen Walker. He is a 6'5 junior from Allen, Texas. And uh, Walker averages about 22 minutes a game. And when it comes to that second unit, he leads them in rebounds. 
Right now, he's averaging about four and a half boards to go along with 6.7 points a game. And he's also one of the more efficient three-point shooters on the team. Doesn't take a lot of them, maybe two on average, but he's making them at over a 42% clip, which is, which is pretty good. So when Tyler Nelson needs a breather, Walker is usually the guy that you'll see coming in for him. And uh, it's kind of funny because they're, they're practically carbon copies of each other physically. Uh, Nelson is listed as an inch taller, and both players are about 215 pounds. Both are excellent defenders, and based on the numbers, the mids aren't really giving up anything when Walker enters a game, which, as you guys will soon see, is pretty much the case with everyone we talk about today. The uh, third player we'll be talking about is Patrick Dorsey. He is a 6'5 junior guard from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I actually used to live in Raleigh quite a while back, and the high school where Dorsey went was right around the corner from my house. Uh, And I remember them having a pretty strong basketball program. I think it was called Millbrook High School. But uh, anyway, uh, Dorsey just recently got back on the court. Uh, I'm not sure if he was hurt or if there's something else going on. But his first game of the year was uh, against Bucknell a few weeks ago. And uh, it didn't take him long to find his footing either. He connected on all three of his shots from beyond the arc and uh, pulled down four rebounds. In the uh, four games since he's been back, he's averaged just over eight points while shooting over 40% from three-point range. And he will usually come in for either Sean Yoder or John Carter Jr. I, I will tell you that I'm really glad that Dorsey's back in the lineup because it's really nice to have another quality long-range shooter coming into the game. Uh, the way he and Walker shoot the ball, Navy's opponents really can't afford to ignore either one of them. Another player who's had an impact off the bench is senior guard Christian Silva. He is listed at 6'2", 190 pounds, and comes from Miami, Florida. And just like Dorsey, he'll typically come in to relieve either Carter or Yoder. Now, Silva isn't one to put up a ton of shots. He, he takes less than three a game, but he's another pretty efficient shooter from three-point range, and he's hitting on nearly 40% of his tries also. But the thing that caught my eye was his defense. Silva plays roughly 10 minutes a game, and he's got a total of nine steals and 24 defensive rebounds, so he's clearly making the most of his playing time out there on the court. Our next reserve is P.J. Roach. He is a 6'1 junior guard from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, I've seen him play a little bit this year. He usually comes in for Greg Summers. And right now, Summers is working his way back uh, from a hamstring pull. So he's actually coming off the bench right now to make sure he's 100%. Anyway, when Summers does move back into the starting lineup, uh, Roach's minutes may drop a little, since it's usually he or Austin Inge that will uh, come off the bench whenever he needs a break. But based on what I've seen, Roach is a classic pass-first guard. Uh, He chips in about one assist a game, and he's got a really good assist-to-turnover ratio. It's sitting at about... uh, uh, over two and a half, and you're just looking for two or better on that. And finally, the last player we're going to talk about is sophomore guard Austin Inge. He is listed at six feet, 190 pounds, and actually Inge has been starting lately while Summers recovers from that hamstring pull. Uh, looks like he's based on, the, yeah, he's started five games so far this year. And I'll tell you that I've always liked this guy from the very first time I saw him play as a freshman against Georgetown. He's an extremely good on-ball defender, and his offensive game is getting steadily better. Uh, He had his best game of the season in the first matchup against uh, Boston University, where he knocked down 12 points, including um, hitting both of his three-pointers, and he was four of six shooting from the field overall. Uh, Inge also had five steals in that game. Now, I've said this before about Inge, but it bears repeating. Uh, If you want to watch a guard really play good perimeter defense, spend some time watching Inge the next time you tune in the mids. Uh, He's got very, very active hands and feet, and his eyes never stop moving. 
whether the mids are in a zone or a man-to-man defense, he's equally strong. It doesn't matter. Uh, that tells me that he had some really good coaching when he was a kid because uh, a lot of times you got these coaches who will just throw kids right into his own defense, and they don't teach him anything about footwork when it comes to playing man-to-man defense. In any case, I really like the blend of offense and defense that Coach DeCellis has working uh, with this bench. Uh, now, for this segment, I got most of the material from what I've seen uh, during the games that I've watched, and also from the stats I pulled off the Navy Athletics website. But uh, Bill Wagner from the Capital Gazette uh, wrote up a nice piece on the team in the January 13th issue. So I'll put a link to that article in the show notes if you want to check that out. It's, it's pretty good. Okay, right now we're going to step away for a short break. And when we come back, we'll have our question of the day and uh, mid-watch segments. All right. Thanks for staying with us on Navy Sports Central. Carl Darden here with you. And it is time for our question of the day. And like always, let's go back and look at the responses to our last question. Uh, Remember, the subject uh, from our last episode was Navy women's rugby. We had a really fun conversation with Sarah Skinner from the class of 22 and the Naval Academy's most recent Rhodes Scholar. Um, So the question was focused on the national championship that the Navy women's rugby team won. I'd mentioned that it wasn't the first time that they'd made a trip to the final match. And I'd asked, when was the last time they played for the championship? And the choices were in 2007, 2011, 2016, or 2019. And of those who responded, most went with 2016. That choice got uh, eight votes. Next was 2019 with two votes. And uh, that was followed by 2011 with uh, just one vote. So the correct answer is actually 2019. Uh, The mids put up a pretty good fight that year, but they came up just a little bit short. And the nice thing was that uh, Sarah and any other of her classmates who were on that team a couple years ago got another shot at the trophy before they graduated, and this time they got the job done. So that was pretty cool. Okay, so now it's time for this episode's question, uh, and it's basketball-related, as you might guess. The uh, Navy men's basketball team is currently 5-1 and one in the Patriot League. How many wins do you think the eventual regular season champion will have? And here are your choices. 12-13, uh, to 14-15, or 16-17. to 17. I guess I'll throw in there 18 or higher. Um, Remember that we're talking conference wins, okay, not the overall number. So think about that a little bit. I will put the question on the group Facebook page before the end of the day, and you can go ahead and make your choice there. All right, let's go ahead and finish up things with our mid-watch segment. Uh, Remember our two athletes that we're looking at are Molly Mangan, who is a sprinter on the Navy women's track team, and also uh, wrestler Andrew Cerniglia. So I'm going to need to do a little bit of follow-up on Molly because I definitely expected her to be running against Princeton this past weekend, but she didn't compete. Um, and I don't know if she's just getting over an injury or anything like that. You know, it's not that uncommon as the season gets going, but I do know that Molly did run in the uh, Navy Invitational track meet back on December 4th, and she ended up winning the 400 meters. She also ran a leg of the 4 by 400 meter relay, and uh, the mids finished fourth in that event. Anyway, I'll see what I can find out. Uh, Molly is capable of pulling down some serious double-digit points based on the number of events she usually competes in. So I'm hoping the team has her back in a couple of weeks when they go up against Army. Now let's see what Andrew Cernigli is up to. Uh, We've already talked about the Lehigh match, but I didn't go into a whole lot of detail. And uh, at 157 pounds, Andrew was going up against a, a guy named Josh Humphreys. He was a senior from Lehigh, and he's currently ranked eighth in the country. And uh, Cerniglia competed hard, but he just came out on the wrong end of the score. 
And I got to tell you that the one wrestler I would have not wanted to be the next day when the Miz took on Hofstra was their guy at 157 pounds because he's going to be facing one ticked off dude. <laughs> That's basically what happened. Cerniglia came out and absolutely destroyed the guy 17 to nothing and earned some bonus points that went towards the Miz's uh, 35 to 6 win. And by the way, that was their first EIWA conference win. The next time Cerniglia takes the mat will be this Saturday, the 22nd, against Ohio University. Remember, he's just a sophomore, and he's already ranked 18th in the country, so looking forward to seeing some really great things from him over the next couple of years. That's going to do it for this edition of Navy Sports Central. Thank you all so much for joining us. Now, if you like what you've heard, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and remember to spread the word to all the other Navy fans out there. We have been getting a great response to our question of the day, so if you want to jump in on that, just go to the Navy Sports Nation Group Facebook page. I will go ahead and pin it to the top uh, so you won't miss it. And just a quick reminder, the views expressed on Navy Sports Central are my own and do not reflect those of the U.S. Naval Academy or Navy Athletics. By the way, the music used in Navy Sports Central comes to you courtesy of Audio Jungle. This is a great site for purchasing the rights to use music from thousands of artists around the world, and those we feature in the podcast will be credited in our show notes. Talk to you soon, everybody. Until next time, this is Carl Darden. Go Navy, beat Army. <laughs>